I'll hit this recording. Get a little button that pops up. All right. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Whitetail series. Uh, this week, we got Aaron Warburton on from the Hunting Public. If you don't know those guys, uh, you should definitely check out their videos. They're probably some of the best videos on YouTube and certainly the most and the most realistic that I found. You guys are posting videos like all the time, um, win or lose. And I like the losses because it makes me feel like you guys are real hunters. <laughs> yeah, there's no offense. More losses than there is wins. <laughs> right. Which every, which every, I, yeah, I mean, you seem, you feel like sometimes you're like, you're the only one not killing. Um, but that's just, especially during the rut when everyone's posting everything, but you know, you scroll through and you're like, all right, I saw 20 dead deer and there are probably 10,000 hunters out today. So I'm sure it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Every, you gotta always remember too, everybody's situation is different. Heck, every situation is different when we travel state to state. So it's like some areas you, you might have an easier time getting on bucks and getting them killed. And then other areas, it's just going to take more time period mm -hmm. to figure things out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Um, and before we get rolling here, guys, uh, I just want to say thank you to, to a couple of our partners. Um, Venado make a phenomenal apparel, um, not necessarily hunting camo stuff, but just shirts, t-shirts, um, fleeces, jackets, sweatshirts. They have an awesome concealed carry vest that I got my dad for Christmas. He really loves that thing. So that's Venado, um, shopvenado.com. And then also Vector Custom Shop. If you guys are not interested in doing all the math for high FOC arrows or really building arrows out to tune well to your bow, check out Vector. And then lastly, Onyx Maps, public and private land boundaries, GPS, waypoints on and offline maps, satellite maps, the new crop data location, um, and some other stuff coming up. If you listened to the podcast previously with Jared Larson, they do have the wind directions coming out, which will be awesome. Dropping, dropping pins for wind directions, which will be great. Easy filters on that. So um, with that, let's hop into this. Aaron, uh, we just talked real briefly, but you just got back from Wyoming and it was a tough hunt. Oh yeah. It was real tough. A lot, the, lot much different than anything that we've hunted in the past. Just a right. different scenario all, all together. Yeah, it's looked like uh, from the video, you got the first video out right now. Today is November or September 8th. I'm already in the rut mode, November. Um, so it's uh, September 8th. Um, looked like a lot of river bottoms. And one of the things that I've always thought that I, like going out west, no one really cares about whitetails. So it seems like they're easier to kill. But in this situation, it was very difficult. Yeah, that's exactly what we thought, too, when we got these tags. It was like, well, let's go to Wyoming because nobody cares about whitetails in Wyoming, which isn't yeah. totally true. They just have their hands full with antelope, mule deer, and elk. So it's it's like they still care about the whitetails, but even the local ranchers and you know landowners and stuff that we talked to were like, yeah, we hunt the whitetail some, but they're pretty squirrely. They're tough. <laughs> they're tough to get on. And I was like kind of surprised when they said that. I was I was figuring that the whitetails would be easier to easier to hunt than, you know, an elk or something like that. But yeah, they when we got there and started finding out more information about the units that we had tags to hunt, we we started realizing it was going to be an uphill battle on this one. So. Yeah, because I imagine you got the tags and then you just like scouted via Onyx and aerials and checking stuff out. And then it looked like there was a ton of landlocked public. Yeah, that those particular areas, there's there's a ton of public land. I mean, it, percentage wise, you know, compared to private, there's still like 40 or 50 percent public land in these units, but they are extremely difficult to access. And, and I don't mean difficult as in like, you got to go five, six miles back. I mean, they're landlocked. So yeah. you have to get private permission in order to get in there. And a lot of times it may be only one private landowner that owns completely around that particular piece of public land and they have it outfitted. So they're not going to allow you to go in there. I mean, some of them were pretty nice and, and said, you know, if my elk hunters kill their elk in the next week, then we'll let you guys go. Some of them would charge you a trespass fee of a couple hundred bucks just to walk across their property to get into the public land. 
And then some of them wouldn't let you go back there at all because they said, you know, we've got elk hunters in there. We've got mule deer hunters in that particular piece and we don't want you messing them up. So, yeah. I mean, I understand that, but that was just the, that was just the reality of, of what we have going on um, in that particular unit. So we spent about two and a half days driving around kind of searching for access, uh, either private or public. And we ended up finding two public areas that we could hunt on and then we got permission to hunt on one private farm and it was it was pretty big it was you know several thousand acres although most of that is not whitetail habitat only the river and creek bottoms is whitetail habitat so sure we did find a, a good area and we had about a mile stretch of river bottom to hunt but the river bottom's only about 100 yards wide with with trees and whitetail habitat and so they stick really close to it. And you would think that would be a easy, I mean, they were not hard to find. I mean, you could get up on top and you could glass them and you could pick bucks out every single day, mature bucks. But that river bottom is so open and you're coming into it from above on either side. So those bucks lay up in that river and they can watch all the way around them. And they're very, very difficult to get close to. Um, oh, you know, there's just not much awesome. terrain once you get down in there, but that was the that's kind of an overview of the situation we were dealing with is we didn't have um you know in, in the flip side of that we've hunted pennsylvania before up in and been around thousands and thousands of acres of public land where we could literally just go close our eyes and go in any direction for 50 miles and we would we would have just gobs of access so we weren't, we, in those types of situations, we're not as worried about being super aggressive and bumping deer, but in this one in Wyoming, it was like, if, if we spooked, we spooked a mature buck the first day of the hunt, trying to stalk him. And he smelled us for sure. And we didn't see that deer again, the entire trip. I don't know <laughs> if he just locked down in a tiny little hole of brush in that river bottom and didn't, and just would, you know, just didn't move very far from that spot. Or if he literally picked up sticks and move like two miles down the river i don't know but that was that's just that's why you know i'm always talking about the specific scenarios yeah. and how they differ um from person to person from location to location this particular case like i said we had to kind of temper how aggressive we were because that was the only option we had <laughs> yeah yeah, no, I, I can certainly see that. And that makes a lot of sense. And, and a lot of people, you can compare that to people who are hunting like 20 acre tracks or 30 acre tracks yeah. or small chunks of public or something like that. You know, you got to be careful. Otherwise yeah. <laughs> you bump them we to the neighbors. It, yeah. We call it calculated ag aggression. People watch our videos and they see us stalking bucks and like walking right up to them and shooting them at 20 yards or whatever. And thinking like, wow, these guys are super aggressive hunters. And we are, but we're not like that all the time. Um, in fact, like you said, a lot of the videos there, you know, you enjoy watching the wins and the losses. And I said, there's a lot more losses in the videos than there is <laughs> wins. That's totally true. But uh, what we end up doing a lot of the time is way more scouting than people think. Like there's, there's way, way more scouting involved before the hunt than... Yeah you know, everybody watches those kills where we're being super aggressive and, and they see us killing deer, but they don't, a lot of people don't see all the scouting that leads up to that. When you're hunting with a bow, I guess my point here is when you're, when you're hunting with a bow, you have to get within 30 yards. So, I mean, for the most part, right. Right. Whitetail. So in order to do that, especially on a mature buck, you've got to be somewhat aggressive because you've got to get within that bubble. Like you have to get him that close. If you set up at the edge of a bedding area and you're 20 or 30 yards off of the trail and he comes through at 60, well, then you're done. Like you, there's a chance you right. can get out of there and hunt the spot again the next day or the next time you have good conditions. But the best opportunity at a mature buck is the first time you go into those spots. Right. And that's why we're super aggressive on that first time, because we want to make sure if he comes out that, that we can get a shot at him because we may not get another opportunity. Like he's probably going to figure us out sooner than later yeah. because we're pushing the envelope into his secure area, you know? So, but we do, we don't just dive straight in there. We usually have Intel that tells us that he's living right there in that spot. 
And in this sure. case, in Wyoming, we were watching them from a rock from a mile away. Yeah. No, and that makes a lot of a lot of sense. It also like you're on a limited time frame, right? You're you're yep. always traveling across country. You're like, man, we got six days to do this or five days. So let's go at it. And I think I think people can relate to that a lot in terms of hunting a weekend. Yep. You know, you have a northwest, you have a cold front that comes through on a Friday. You got to get aggressive on that Saturday and potentially that Sunday, or you might have another warm-up and, and Saturday is your only option to get in there, really with the same conditions. Like if you're waiting for a North wind or a Northwest wind, like you got one day and then you got to wait another week. Yeah. And those, and that's a good, that's a good point. That's a, um, something we were recently talking about. It's like, it all depends on that individual situation with work and family and stuff. If you're a weekend warrior and you can only hunt Saturday and Sunday, well, what if the cold fronts on Wednesday and what if it's hot on the weekend? It's like, right. and you only have 10 days to bow hunt all fall you know, combining all those days, like, well, how do you approach that? Well, if you're watching somebody that hunts every single day of the year and you're drawing your tactics off of them, that's not going to apply to you. A lot of that stuff's not going to apply to you because you have to hunt these two specific days of the week. So you have to find ways to adapt to the conditions that you have available. Now, somebody else that can hunt 10 days of fall, but has a flexible work schedule that could take out of work, you know, they could jet out of work on a Wednesday afternoon and hit that cold front. They can be out there on much more optimal days for killing deer potentially. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it all, it all kinds of kind of depends, or maybe say you work six, seven days a week, and then you get a week's vacation, which will be similar to what we, we did, you know, with this Wyoming trip. Sure. And you're out there for seven days and you're thinking about nothing but deer and you're trying to find a way to kill them in that time frame. Yeah. Well, you know, it, all three of those situations between the weekend warrior, flexible worker, and then the vacationer, if you will, are all different and you got to approach them all differently. Mm-hmm. So, I, and I find that real interesting when we talk to viewers and stuff about what their specific situation is, whether they're hunting that little 20 acre private tract or their 20,000 acre public and how many days they have available to hunt, scout, and do all these things. Because when you get to talking to them about their specific situations, you can really start to help them, mm-hmm. you know, figure out what works best for them. Uh, because I feel like, as you know, a lot of the tactics that are out there are, they're, they're general and they're right. useful, but they can only help you so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I would a hundred percent agree with that. And everybody's situation, like you've been saying is, is different. Um, one of the things that you, or one of the things I was going to say is, is since I've gotten married and now I got two kids, I think my negotiation skills are growing. They're increasing. <laughs> I'm starting to, I implement new tactics every year for negotiating. <laughs> that, that's so, an important, that's an important right? skill set to acquire in that particular situation. <laughs> I feel like. Yeah, yeah. So currently I am, I am building up I'm building up a lot of negotiation with my wife. She's a volleyball coach. So she coaches all of September and almost all of October. And I got the kids every day, uh, before daycare, after daycare and on game days. And I'm counting those hours because those hours are going into a diary and those hours are going to be brought up when negotiation <laughs> tactics begin. <laughs> and I want to leave you know, for a week or two weeks or whatever it is. Yep. So, um, but the other thing that you, that you said earlier, and I think it's, I think it's, we, we talked about it, you talked about it briefly, but it's, it's scouting. Like you guys can't, you said you were out scouting in Wyoming for two and a half days before you actually hunted. And, uh, that, that is something you're not going to show 37 hours of scouting footage. Right. And no one is yeah. like, cause it's a lot of driving. It's a lot of driving. Yeah. It's a lot of looking. It's a lot of like you know blatant like slow time but it's what you're actually being very productive and crossing off items on the list right yep okay this is yeah and even in going into that hunt like we had two days to scout and then we had six days to hunt but in that particular scenario like i mentioned earlier we had one area to hunt and it was very sensitive, like uh, down in that bottom, the wind swirls and the bucks bed in, in areas where they can watch everything around them, which is not uncommon. But in this particular scenario, 
we weren't working with 20,000 acres of public where we could bump one and then basically follow him and get on him again the next day. Like we bump right. them and they're, they're off the property. And especially if they smell us, the, the game is up. Right. Well, we had, we did all that scouting for two days and then opening day, we had terrible conditions. It was dead calm. The wind was swirling like crazy. We watched several bucks bed down below us and we had them pinned and we sat there and watched them for six hours on a rock from half a mile away. And me and Jake just couldn't take it anymore. We're like, okay, we got to go. We got to get down in there and learn more about it and try to get closer. And that was a mistake. We went in there and we blew up much of that bottom that we were that river bottom that we were hunting, or at least, I mean, I would say 30% of it, just trying to get down in there and get close enough to those bucks to figure out what was going on to see if there was a way that we could get in there and get a shot. And I told Jake the whole time I was going down in there, I'm like, man, I don't, this, our odds are stacked against us today. Like, this is not going to be a good situation. And we got in there and it wasn't, and they smelled us and it was not good. We uh, blew those deer out of there. And then the following day we had perfect conditions. It was sunny. There was a lot of contrast, you know, shadows. There was 15 mile an hour consistent west winds, which completely different conditions than we had on day one yeah overcast dead calm no contrast it just the deer can pick you off easier in those conditions with their eyes they can hear you because there's no wind cover and you don't have consistent wind so if you're on an hour-long stalk trying to make it 30 yards there's a good chance at some point in that hour the wind is going to shift and they're going to smell you and that all of those things came true. Like that's exactly what happened. And then the following day we had all these perfect conditions, but we'd blown them out of the bottom. So we had to spend the next day finding more deer to hunt. And in, in effect, we cut down two of our four days because we mismanaged our time. If we would have spent that first day opening day, just scouting more and watching those deer and watching their behavior, not spooking them, the chances of us finding and them on the second day would have went way up and then we would have had great conditions on the second day to either get in a really good setup or right. stalk them but because of that we you know oh. hey we man had to, we had hey. to kind of start from scratch so then we were behind the eight ball a little bit and then we had four days left to hunt instead of six mm -hmm. yeah impatience it they can burn yeah. you but it can also i mean what do you think we're, we're getting way out. We're getting, I would not say way off topic, but like, when do you get aggressive? Like, so, you know, cause there's always that fine line of, do I need to move now or do I need to just wait and wait this out? Yeah. It, it, it depends on, on the situation, of course, but like I, like I mentioned with those conditions, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, especially in this case with, with high wind, wet conditions you can get away with way more movement you can get away with way more noise and oftentimes in high windy conditions like that you're getting a consistent wind sure so and that's what i want if i'm looking at the hourly forecast for example and the wind says you know 8 a.m four to six out of the west 9 a.m three to five out of the north 10 a.m four to six out of the southeast that's telling me right there like i mean you can go in there and you can try to time it right so that you have like this wind according to the hourly forecast it almost never works yeah. that way what that hourly forecast is telling you is that the wind is not consistent it's light and variable and you're going to have issues like it's going to be yeah. kicking around but if you look at that forecast and it says 10 to 15 all day west northwest or northwest for eight hours straight you get to your spot and you start checking wind and you may notice that it's way more consistent. And when you yeah. have a consistent wind flow like that, you can do way more with your setups. Like you can set up really tight to them and you can be there for hours if need be waiting okay. for your opportunity to either sneak in there and shoot them or set up on them and have them come out to you. And like I mentioned in the beginning of this conditions all play a role in that. Right. Um, and how aggressive you can be. And we took the bad conditions and we we chose to be aggressive during the time with bad conditions. And then the following day we had great conditions for being aggressive and we didn't have any bucks to hunt. We <laughs> them up. 
So, but that's one yeah. thing you'll notice in our videos, like uh, two of the most popular videos we had from last fall was a buck that I killed on the ground in October in Iowa. That was that big one in the grass bed or whatever, right off uh, the lake. Yep, that's him. And yeah. then uh, Zach's North Dakota stock. Mm -hmm. Early season. But if you watch both those videos, you're going to notice the wind is blowing hard in both those videos. And okay. that is a huge reason why we are able to get so close to those bucks. And we we're able to get away with so much moving around and all that. Yeah, because it's not just you, it's a camera person too. Yep, yep. Right. And that's twice the amount of scent in the woods. Twice um, the amount of movement, twice the yep. amount of mistakes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh yeah. I know that, that buck on the lake. Um, that was one of my favorite videos that you guys ever put out. And that was, that's just, I mean, if you haven't seen that, go, go find that one because that is just, uh, a ridiculous hunt. <laughs> it shook out. It's like, Oh my God, he's right here. He's coming in and he's just right there. Oh yeah. It was, it was wild. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't believe how much we got away with in that one, but that was one of those deals. Buck was coming in at 55 yards and he was going to be too far to shoot and he was going to circle downwind of the tree like the path that he was taking. And in my younger days, I would have just sat there and probably hoped for the best. Mm -hmm. But I know like a mature buck, when they get downwind, that's it. It's over. Like, don't let them get there. <laughs> Whatever you do, <laughs> don't let them get there. I mean, if it means climbing out of the tree and him seeing you and taking off, that's better than him smelling you, in my opinion. So I told Gooch like, get out of the tree right now. We got to go. We got to move or he's going to smell us. And we did. And we got away with it and circled around and killed him. But anyway, yeah, yeah that as far as your question goes with knowing when to be aggressive, that just takes lots of experience and really screwing these opportunities up a bunch <laughs> of times right. in order to figure out what you can and can't get away with. But the wind is something I've noticed you just, you can't get away with. I, yeah. I mean, at least in our case, you I, I we used to do scent control and all that and that's for a different conversation but in our case with two guys in the woods mature buck yeah. gets downwind it's over with if you're well, dropping yeah, just, and it's going to him it's over with right yeah i would be it would be such a tedious task for you guys to do scent control because of how much you're doing you know oh yeah i mean we were in wyoming for a week living in a tent like <laughs> right in the middle of nothing like i mean we'd have to have a portable shower with us we'd have to have you know our ozonics closet or our ozone closet or whatever it is and i'm not saying yeah. that stuff doesn't work it's just not practical in that particular what, yeah situation yeah right and certainly i mean and the, the amount of i always i always put it back to you dude if i'm walking a mile or uh, three quarters of a mile in early season, like there's no way I'm going to sweat. I, I don't care how yeah. much like scent stuff I'm going to bring. I'm going to sweat. My hair is going to stink. Everything. I'm going to smell like a human, man. Just is what it is. Yep. So right. um, outside of Wyoming, moving on to, you know, what you got upcoming and what do you got? What do you got rolling on here in the next few weeks? Uh, the boys are going to be hunting early season in Missouri a little bit. Okay. And during archery season, where a lot of us are going to be elk hunting for the next 10 days or so. Nice. But then uh, several of us have South Dakota licenses that we're going to hunt in October and then Iowa licenses. So gotcha. we'll be hunting Iowa pretty hard again in early October. We did that last year and we spent a lot of time scouting beforehand. And uh, we ended up killing, I think, four bucks in October last year. Yeah. Uh, which I attribute mostly to, we had some good conditions and some good cold fronts, but mostly to the scouting that we'd done. Was that, was it last year when you killed that one right off the road and like the, um, it came running across the road and. Oh no, okay. that was, that was a couple years ago. And okay. that was during the rut. Yep. Yeah. That, okay. Gotcha. Um, yep. yeah. So so hunting in, in the early, I guess, to touch real quick on September and hunting elk, mm -hmm. a video that you guys posted the other day of you get, getting that getting that bull at whatever, 20 yards in the frontal, that was outrageously badass. <laughs> yeah, that was probably one of the greatest hunts I've ever been on. I don't know if I'll be able to top that one for a while. That was and pretty insane. 
20, 20, 30 minutes of just pure, pure just intensity. <laughs> That's the thing though. Like we hunted 12 days and never saw that until that day. And we hunted right. that same spot multiple times. And it was just the day. Like it right. was, there was, there was you cows get into the bugle in fest, the rut fest, and you're yep. just in it. Yep. It was you awesome. guys just ended up being in such a good spot for your wind and movement and everything. It was just like, dude, don't move. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, was, I mean, like we've talked about already is, uh, we screwed up so many times in that hunt. Um, not that particular day. Like we, we did everything right that day. And, you know, as, as you saw, we killed the bull, but right. the 10 days leading up to that, we did, we screwed up a bunch of times. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of the same, that's kind of the way that we end up with whitetails, um, throughout the fall we we mess things up eight nine ten times out of ten but just gotta win once you just gotta win once you got one tag you're trying to kill a big buck you gotta win one time and get your opportunity and then you gotta be able to make good on it um so that and that's kind of leads back to us being aggressive it's it's like we want to push the envelope to where we get that chance um, and if it doesn't work out, then we'll try again the next day. But if you, if you only have 10 days to hunt all bow season, and if you're not really in the game for eight out of those 10 days, then your odds are exponentially go down. You know, if you, if you're in the game and what I mean by in the game is within a hundred yards of the, of a buck that you want to kill while you're hunting, if you're within that space more often than not you're going to get more opportunities but there's a catch because if you go in there and you blow that thing out on bad conditions then and you're in one of those scenarios like we've already discussed well you're screwed you know (laughs) right yeah yeah and and yeah it's it's possible that buck never comes back it's possible it takes him a week to come back it's possible that he comes back tomorrow you just don't know you You don't know don't know you don't know you got to drop a cell cam on that bed and watch it yep the smaller (laughs) the property that you're hunting the the more cautious you got to be with that most of the time but if you have five or six small properties that you're hunting and they're all 15 acres or 20 acres Mm -hmm. or whatever then you can kind of bounce around and keep the pressure off of them a little bit yeah yeah, I agree. And that's uh, one, one tactic that I've found really helpful for myself is I do have a hundred acres of private to hunt. Um, and I'll hunt the private mainly on good conditions. I would say like eight, eight plus eight out of 10, nine out of 10, 10 out of 10, I'll hunt there. Otherwise I have 50 public land spots that I can go bomb around on. And, you know, if, if it's been South winds in the early season for the last 10 days, well, I'm probably just going to go bop into one of their, if I have the time to hunt, maybe I find something that's been consistent on a pattern. I have no idea. I don't have any cameras out there this year. I've just hunted there for the last six years and kind of have some general idea of what's going on. Right. And every sure. year you learn something new anyway. So, oh yeah, absolutely. So in the, so if you guys are, are looking at Iowa in the early season, you guys have already done a bunch of scouting. You, you've probably have years of experience on these different pieces we do but what's interesting is we rarely kill bucks in the same spots um okay most of the time we have some sort of understanding of how the land lays which is important like that's kind of your first step if you are looking into hunting any piece of property is it's good just to go out and walk it you know just to understand sort of you know where the ditches are where you know what this ridge system looks like boots on the ground all those little details you can pick up when you walk it are helpful later on but with that said like i said before we kill these things in different spots every year almost would you Um, say like if somebody's getting started like right now and this is their first bow season or if they're just like all of a sudden they lost their permission or something like that and they're looking at a new piece would you is it, do you think it's a good idea to go walk a new piece right now and just go walk everywhere and just check it all out or depends on, depends on when your season comes in. Say for instance, you know, right now it's early September and this is going to be released later on. But if you were, if you had a couple weeks in between now and the beginning of your season, I would go, I would just okay. go in there. The, the main thing is, is 
don't spend more than a day in there. Get all of the intel that you need to get that day. So if it requires you blowing a bunch of deer out of that area, then go for it and get as much understanding as you can, but then back out of there and give them their space. Don't hang a trail camera in there and go back and forth sneaking into that creek bottom or whatever it is, checking the thing next week. I mean, we've, for example, we've scouted areas like that in mid-August in Iowa, and we have blown the crap out of it. I mean, bucks running for a mile out of that thing. <laughs> and we've came back to that spot five weeks later at opening day, October 1st, and that thing is full of bucks. A lot of the same bucks that we spooked. So that's as close as I've, I've went is about four or five weeks, but I, I believe you could get away with it sooner. You know, there's, okay. there's a lot of guys out there that just say, get the Intel, whatever it tell, whatever it takes, just go get the Intel so that you know how the property lays. Um, so I, I guess it's, it's another yeah. one of them situational deals. You got to kind of weigh it. Um, I and like that. The idea though on there is, is be in there once, get all the data once and get out. Yeah. Like that. I, I, I would certainly agree with that. To anything like the more you linger, the more you like come back to an area, the more they're going to, you know, understand that someone's really actually looking into this. But if you just walk through once, you could be a dog walker. You could be, you could be anything. They might, they might not even associate you because it's over the summer. Right. And it's to be more, honest, the more noise you're making and crashing around in there on that day, usually the better it is because the deer are getting up farther ahead of you. And what that first. means is a lot of times they're not smelling you. They're hearing you and they're seeing you. So mm. they get the heck out of there. And to your point, they don't really know what that intrusion was. But if gotcha. you sneak in there and you're checking a camera every four or five days, and you screw up and leave some scent in a bad spot or your wind blows into the bedding area and you're pretty tight to that buck and he smells you, that's bad news. Yeah. It's just like you... they know they know when they're being hunted. I mean, yeah. and when when you get, you know, 100 yards from a bedded buck and your wind goes in there and he smells you, he knows what's going on. I don't know how, they just know. <laughs> that's That's never a good situation when yeah. that happens. But what do you, one thing I like to try to, I don't know, I'm fairly certain I just try to justify this to myself for doing it, but I always like to just bring my dog because then my dog yeah, is sure. typically the thing that'll spook them rather yeah. than me. And yeah. then it's like, and in, in Wisconsin, you can't hunt deer with dogs. So a person with a dog is a lot less, uh, what I want to say, like aggressive than just a, a person in camo, I right. guess. Yeah. I, I, and that type of thing probably happens to them fairly regularly, you know, whether it's coyotes or a wolf or a dog or whatever, they're, right. they're going to get bumped around occasionally. They're good at escaping danger like that, yeah. but that's sort of their expected danger. Um, they, I mean, when you start hunting them though, and you get, you get in their bubble, that's a different, that's a different yeah. story. Or like you said, when you put consistent pressure on an area, even if you're tiptoeing around the edge of it and you're, and you're thinking to yourself like, Oh, you know, I'm a couple hundred yards away. I'm not, and I've got, you know, all my scent free gear on and all that stuff. I would still caution folks to stay back, back the heck out of there. And right. also I should say this, when we doing that scouting, the main thing we're, we're getting is just sort of an overview of Intel on how the land lays maybe some consistent spots where you find old scrapes or bedding, you're keeping track of all that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to go straight to a spot on the map and set up on it. Sure. Come October 1st, because things are different from, you know, middle of late August bucks are doing something different during that time than they are at the beginning of the season. Now, sure. in some cases they may not move very far, they may only move, they may only switch bedding areas or even stay in the same bedding area. But a lot of people say, well, my bucks dropped off the map or they disappeared come early October. When in fact, often they are still living in the same general areas, but they're going out a different way. They're doing something different. Sure. Um, they're not, they're not coming out to the West bean field anymore like they have for the last two months. They're going east and they're feeding on pin oak acorns in the edge of the bedding area on that side. 
and they they only have to move 100 yards to get to those pin oaks, and they had to move 500 yards to get to the beans in August. So that's why you were seeing them then. Now you're not seeing them, sure. and you're picking them up in the middle of the night on your trail camera. Well, that's because they're making a loop back up through those beans. It's just their pattern has changed. Their timing is different on when they're arriving there. So yeah, we've noticed that through our scouting though too is fresh gotcha. sign is fresh sign or a trail cam a daylight trail camera picture that day is such a huge deal but i feel like people put so much emphasis on the cameras and trying to get those daylight photos that they don't pay enough attention to fresh sign like fresh sign is the same thing no i can't see Eventually. it on my computer or yeah yeah <laughs> i get it but it's the, <laughs> it's the same thing like a really big fresh rub that's sweating almost that just got made in the last day and a half or you know some droppings that are in, on an oak flat that you that looks like it's just been churned up with a you know garden tiller is like <laughs> okay this is they are using this yesterday that's yeah that's the type of stuff we're setting up on. And when, it, when we get into the early season time frame and we find that sort of sign, we're usually looking for a spot to hunt right there. We don't, okay. I mean, I don't care what my cameras told me or anything a month before that or where we watched them at in late August. If that's where the sign is at on that day, that's where we're going to hunt. Yeah, I think um, I, I think one of the fun things about the fall and hunting seasons is that you get this nice kind of consistency in, in May, June, July, and August of deer activity, and you're getting these bucks. And then all of a sudden, like mid-September hits, they drop their velvet, and it's like every week they're doing something different. Every yep. week, the two weeks, they're, they're, they're thinking about something else. Oh, I don't want, you know, the soybeans are yellow now, so now I'm switching to acorns. Oh, the corn's starting to taste good, so I'm switching over here. Uh, now all these maple leaves are dropping. This is pretty decent. I like these. I'm going to go eat over here. Oh, well, now I'm thinking about scrapes. Now I've got to start marking my territory, where my dough's at. And all of a sudden, like all this stuff's changing so fast. And if like you're a weekend warrior, you can go in on a, on a Saturday and they could be eating on acorns. And the next Saturday, they're not even touching them. And they're totally somewhere else because the, the, now they're always worried about scrapes, right. Yeah. Or whatever it is. So that's, that's always the fun part. So I, I feel like, yeah, the, the hot sign is more important than the trail camera photos. And then I think people get lured into that trap of dude, I've been seeing him for the last two months. Now he's gone. What happened? Well, probably shed his velvet and he's on the move. Like he's yeah. trying to, trying to figure out what he's going to be doing or looking at different food. So is that, so looking at, um, Oh, what was I going to say? I had another good one in there that you had mentioned. Um, the you were looking at acorns and that buck is different are acorns like a food source that you're target that you like to look for in the early yep. season yep are there any um, is there anything else like natural not mm -hmm. a not a egg field oh yeah uh grass fields crp fields or just fallow crop fields that have got a lot of weeds broad leaves and stuff in them that are waist high okay. chest high grass if you look out across one of those grass fields and you think, oh, there's no food out there, you're crazy because they will sit, they will bed out there and live out there for weeks in late September and October doing nothing but eating broadleaves, broadleaf weeds. Um, okay. They'll eat milkweed. They'll eat all kinds of stuff out there. Uh, they'll also eat honey locust pods. Now that depends on what time of year they're yeah. in there they'll they'll also bed and live in hedge thickets like osage orange and they'll eat hedge leaves um yeah they'll eat they'll eat immature maple trees maple tree sprouts that are coming up and, and like you're in a river bottom for example and you've got a bunch of maples down there well there's if there's a bunch of young maples in a particular area that's probably got good security cover in it because there's you know young saplings growing in there it's thicker but yeah. they'll also eat the shoots off of those maple trees um there, oh. I, there's all kinds of stuff that we've seen them eating in the in the woods that is just you know you would never even think about acorns are are probably the number one thing but 
don't overlook those those other food yeah, sources either and that that could change depending on where you're at too um that's just in our particular area some of the some of the different things that they feed on sure okay so um when you're when you're going in if, if you had some trail cameras up i know you guys do some trail cams on, on public yep. land and how are you getting to like essentially you said hunt the fresh sign and you you kind of know the area are you like going well i want to go over and check over here and see if there's fresh sign over here or are you kind of saying it's almost like you're walking past it and you're like oh we might want to go hunt over here how are you like walk past it yeah (laughs) usually don't walk past it even if it's 100 yards from truck you got to think too on, on opening day even on an area that gets pounded things could be way different on opening day so like in the past we've been walking down an access path on opening day 200 yards from the parking lot and there's four other trucks there and there's a fresh scrape right along the path a lot of people would look at that and they'd be like oh there's there's a little buck up here or something close to the to the parking area that may not be the case like you if you walked in the woods right there and you found you know a, a red a grove of red oak trees that there's a bunch of acorns under and you're seeing big tracks in there and in a fresh rub or two it's like well it's possible that that sucker is bedding within 100 yards of this spot and he's going to be here before dark because he hasn't been getting hunting pressure for the last two weeks sure like he has no reason not to be here right now maybe in a week he'll have a reason after we leave enough scent in here close by but that's something that that we've learned is don't all bets are off on opening day as far as like going deep we went past the deer especially mature bucks a bunch of times early in the season for that reason okay so you so how do you know i i guess if you're walking in like as soon as you hit fresh sign you're saying it's entirely possible that that buck is right there yeah and we're not necessarily setting up on it every time but we stop and we think about everything right there. Like we'll sit there and have a conversation about it and think about where the nearest bedding is, where we saw these bucks in the area last and if they could potentially be up here right now. And then, you know, we, we, there's a number of things that are going through our our mind at that point, you know, whether we get up high and we try to observe it from a distance and see if we can watch one stand up and then move in the next day or if it's in thick, sure. big woods, where do we set up tonight? Or if we just burn it up and move past it. But if we move past it, most of the time we're crossing it off. It's like you're making the decision at that point to forget about that spot and to go find a different one. We, sure. I mean, it's not to say that that doesn't work later on where you can come back to that, but you're essentially leaving your scent right there. So the odds go down that the next time you go in there, it's going to be better hunting than it was today. Right. Yeah. I mean, the first time ends the best time. So if you, if you walk past it, you're going to be told like, they're going to have an idea that there's hunters in there now. Yeah. At some point, especially, especially a mature bug. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then he's going to flip a switch and go, okay, it's hunting season. I got to go. Yeah. Going high. Yep. <laughs> like they may still be leaving scrapes along that access path in two or three weeks. Heck, there may be more scrapes on it, but you're going to, you're going to see them moving and bedding further away from it. The more traffic mm-hmm. that, that shows up on that. And that's not a, that's not a hard and fast rule necessarily, but they're just, they're going to take note that there's people there. Right. And they're going to avoid that spot in daylight so that they don't die. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's basically the plainest way I can sure. put it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so when you find some of that, from that, some of that fresh sign, one of the problems and questions that I have all the time when I find something that close to the, that close to the walking path is, is this nocturnal or dire? Yep. Right. Uh, do you have any, any thoughts or advice on how to, decide that yeah it's it's hard um it this kind of goes back to your initial scouting if you can do it and how well you know the area because if there's if there's thick cover close by that would serve as good security cover say it's at 150 yards from the access 
is probably just far enough away where no commotion going on up at that access is going to influence a deer that's bedded in that thick area. But, you know, if you get much closer than that, even if it's thick, I, I, I wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't put as much thought into it. A couple hundred yards is, is about the minimum, you know, okay. and beyond, but don't, don't ignore that stuff. That's 200 yards away from it necessarily. Yeah. And if, if in my prior scouting, I've found bedding areas that are close by like that and there's sign real close to it and there's tracks going towards that bedding area that may be something to throw a setup at once right um or if you're unsure and you've got better options in the back of your mind that you think you've got more confidence in then throw a camera over it for three or four days and then go back and pick that sucker up and you might you might get pictures of a buck and then be able to to figure out which bedding area is coming from and then go in there and hunt him. But more importantly, I'm just worried about learning what's going on. Sure. Uh, I'm not at that point. I just want to put a camera up there to see if one pops up in the next few days, e knowing, even knowing that when he pops up, he's probably going to smell where I've walked. Um, right. And, and that's that. But if I get pictures of him doing that, then who knows what's to say the very next year, if a similar situation doesn't pop up that I won't sit that yeah. spot. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's what I was going to say. And that is certain that has happened to me multiple times where you walk past a spot and you're like, well, I'm just going to throw a camera here because I want to know, I want to know if I'm screwing up. Right. Yep. Yep. And then I'm more year, fascinated you're like, with that aspect know. of deer hunting than, than almost killing one, to be honest. <laughs> um, I, especially when you're bow hunting, bow hunting, your odds are so far stacked against you every time. Like we mentioned, even guys that hunt big private tracks with dozens of mature bucks on them. Sometimes those guys take 20, 30, 40 days to harvest a deer with their bow. Right it's just hard, man. I mean, you have to get them really close. You have to have so many things go right. So I'm, I'm going out there every time trying to kill one with my bow, but more importantly, I'm trying to learn. Yeah. So I want to pick up more information today than what I had before I left the truck. And that, and if you have that mindset over time, you're going to have this giant database of info and situations to draw from. So you, you begin to, I guess, log that. And then when you, when you come across fresh sign in one of those scenarios, like you're mentioning, you know, what's happened in the past on some of those similar situations and that, yeah. that can definitely help you make those decisions. I mean, there's, a, there's just not a hard and fast rule for if you find sign at spot a in this spot, is there going to be a buck in bedding area a it's not necessarily that simple, but the more you learn about those types of situations every single time, the more you can relate and cross-reference them to whatever you find in the future, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's why, uh, you know, we've noticed with the acorn crop, for example, that changes year to year. Right. Um, it, you know, and some people put it as general as, well, there's white oaks this year and there's not red oaks or there's red oaks this year and there's not white oaks. It's not like that. It's like this year there's heavy red oaks in these particular spots and no white oaks in these particular spots. And then the following year, there's a mild white oak or bur oak crop and red oaks. So there's acorns everywhere. Um, the following year after that, maybe there's gobs of white oaks and no red oaks and no and hardly any pin oaks. Uh, it's just, it changes. Uh, my point with saying that is that it changes every single year. You have something that's slightly different and occasionally you run into stuff that's similar from the past, but it, it requires time in the woods to understand why that fresh sign is where it is. Yeah. Because that, and once you start to understand why it's there and you understand how far bucks move during the early season, you start to figure out that, you know, that's really, really important to find. I don't know if this is making sure. sense or not, but when you, when you find that fresh sign in a, in a grove of red oaks and it's big buck sign, like a big rub right there, a big track and it's October the 5th, 
they don't move very far during that time of the year traditionally. A mature buck doesn't. They they don't move very far at all. I mean, I've watched them stand up out of their bed an hour before dark, and I've literally sat in the tree until midnight trying to get out of there and got down and took off walking, and they spooked. They literally made it 100 yards and laid back down, and they they were living in a small little 200, or 200 by 200 yard square, and that's it. And they're moving in daylight, but they're just not going. They're just not traveling very far yet. You know, as you mentioned earlier, a week later when they start running scrapes, they may start making a big loop in the middle of the night to run some scrapes and, and check some doe bedding areas and stuff. But early, early season, after they shed their velvet, they're tight, man. Most of the time, they're, they're not going real far. So when you, that's my point here, is when you find the fresh sign on the oaks right there, Yes, we're thinking about where the deer could be bedding, but to your point about asking if it's nocturnal or not, yes, he might be nocturnal right there, but there's a good chance that he's pretty dang close. And that's your that's our game. Like we that's, need yeah. to be close to him. I don't care whether or not he's nocturnal. I want to be close to where he's at right now. Right. And that's where your previous thought of understanding the lay of the land. And where these bedding areas are and where these travel routes are to this you know grove of red oaks like that's where that comes into play because if he's not there during the day and he's there at night then that just means you got to scoot a little bit closer to where you think yeah and from. it may only be 60 yards like that's right. it that it may be just barely over the hill um okay. it, it's you're it's a game of inches during that time of the year because I've watched mature bucks stand up out of their beds and make it 80 yards in, before dark. And I literally set up uh, 10 yards too far back, literally like that. <laughs> I had him at 40 and if I had set up 10 yards closer, I'd have had him at 30 at last light. Right. And I would have got a shot. I mean, that's happened to us multiple times. And that's why I said when it, when the conditions are right and you, like you get one nailed down you got to be super aggressive because if you on those situations where we're 10 yards off that's the hunt that's it i mean most of the time i mean sometimes we can get out of there without boogering them if we're super super careful but more often than not they're on to you and they're moving and then you then you got to start this process over again right you got to go find another one <laughs> yeah, you gotta go find another one, or you can go find that same one. Um, he, he may just move 200 yards away to a different bedding area, mm. or he may start coming out the other side of that same bedding area, or whatever it is. Sure. They're just gonna adapt to your presence. Um, but that's the main thing is when we when we go into those situations now early season, I am just so freaking amped before we set up because I am like, I'm trying to process every single little detail so that we can get an arrow in the thing when he comes out. Yeah. So because how long does it take five you? yards, 10 yards? That's <laughs> like I said, that's it. I mean, you're right. So I have, I have stood out there and I have looked at trees trying to figure out which one to get into for at least an hour before. Yeah. Have you oh, ever? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. You're looking at five different trees and you're like, which one? Oh, I've looked at trees. I've looked at bushes on the ground. I've looked in, you know, ditches and thinking like, <laughs> how can I get to 15 yards from this trail? Because that's the one that I want to kill him out of. Um, and that's another good point, not to go off on another tangent here, but I've started to have more success actually killing them when you set up on a specific spot. Um, you don't just set up in an area. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So you're saying, you're saying you're, you're trying to, you're being essentially like hyper-focused on, I am killing him on this trail. I'm not I'm killing, killing him, him in this, this spot. I'm going to draw my bow right. when he's right here. I'm going to stop him when he gets to this spot and I'm going to shoot him at that right. spot. Literally you put the X right there. And like I said, nine times out of 10, it doesn't work out that way. But when it does, you're mentally prepared to kill him at that spot because you've, you know, that's your plan. And when like that road buck hunt that you mentioned earlier yeah. in the rut, that was our, like we hung that stand in the dark and 
our plan was to see a buck coming from the road, draw back when he got behind that little tree that was full of leaves still, and yep. then kill him at 12 yards and <laughs> did exactly that. And you um, almost got another one too. <laughs> yeah, we would have if we wouldn't have been, you know, losing our high five uh, stuff in the tree. <laughs> you know, we were just me and Ted losing it up there. And the other one saw us up there hooping and hollering and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, that's what I've noticed. Uh, we started getting good at finding mature bucks to hunt a few years ago and like pinpointing their bedding areas and all that. There's a lot of stuff out there about that. Now it's like find the areas where people don't go look for secure areas that, you know, it's got a lot of thick cover and that's where mature bucks are going to live. We've gotten good at finding them, but what I've been sort of obsessed with the last three or four years is trying to get the setups right to kill them or, get the stock right or whatever it is yeah because that's really that's where the rubber meets the road you know you can get in the ball game on them and understand how they bed and how they move and how they live but then you've got to be able to really harness your focus on all those fine details to get a shot at them when they do come out so right. for example if uh if two trails are coming out of a bedding area and one of them's really heavy and one of them's light I'm not going to set up in between those two trails to where I can shoot trail A at 40 and trail B at 35. I'm going to, I'm going to pick one of them to kill him on. And I'm going to set up right over it where I've got perfect wind, where I can get drawn back on a deer that's going to come from that direction. And I'm going to focus on that spot. And if he comes down the other trail, so be it. That's it. But if I guess right and he comes down this one, I'm going to get a high odds opportunity at him at 15 yards that I've already played out through my mind. And that's the difference in that's in my experience, that's been the difference in watching them and killing them is just mm -hmm. a few yards like that. And maybe it's not a tree. It could be a bush. Like in Wyoming, we set up behind a sage bush in the middle of nothing. I mean, the bush was, the bush was as tall as a Yeti cooler. Right. I mean, and, I, and what about Ted's grass little, field? Ted's little uh, mud mud fort. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or pronghorns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, and yeah. they did that in Missouri a few years ago on the big buck that Ted killed. He just built a like a yeah a from the ground when he was fort on the ground with a bunch of dead wood. Like, <laughs> but he had to be at that spot to shoot that trail. Mm -hmm. Like he had to be right there. There was no tree. He could have picked the best tree suitable for a stand, but then he wouldn't have been in the on the X where it needed. Well, to be they killed. did. They did originally, right? They originally yeah, thought they, they picked the right tree. A tree, and, and then, then they observed movement down there mm -hmm. on that trail, and then they looped around and they made that little blind, that little hut or whatever, and then right. that buck came out on the same trail and they killed it. Yeah, that's how we end up killing these things a lot of the time, and I think it's hard for people to see that, but. Uh, whether it's a spot and stalk hunt or a decoy hunt or whatever it is that we're doing, the, the scenario is either perfect for that particular tactic or we nailed the setup. Right. And most of the Sometimes losses that you've watched, I mean, show yeah. that we get this wrong mo the majority of the time, but every time you get it wrong, you learn something. Mm -hmm. So that, and I, I, that's yeah. just a little tidbit. Sorry to take you down the tangent. No, there, no, no. I've, and that's, I mean, that was a great point. And Greg's buck last year, right? That decoy buck that he brought in, that was awesome. Yeah. That was an awesome, that's good setup. Good. Everything came together. Yep. That's right. Um, the, uh, so one of the other questions I, and you brought this up and, and we'll wrap this up here soon. Cause I know, I know you got to get to, to editing videos and whatnot and home repair projects and fun stuff <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, if there's a heavy trail and a light trail coming out of a bedding area, which one are you setting up on? Uh, depends on where his track is. Come uh, on. That's too easy of an answer. Well, <laughs> say, uh, say for example, it just rained two days before that and it, and it rained a bunch and it washed out a bunch of the sign. If I go into that bedding area and I come across a trail and there's one set of big tracks coming and going on that same trail, yeah, that's where I'm going to sit. That's I don't care if there's, if there's a freaking highway 50 yards away, that is just track on track on track. I mean, you've seen them. They, yeah. you know, it's super heavy trail. 
Mm -hmm. I'm going to set up on the big track that's coming and going, especially the one that's coming and going. That's a, uh, Ooh, that's the big one there. You find a big track that's coming and going. That's really, really fresh. And you got betting right there. Close that, that little tidbit of sign right there may trump everything else early in the season, because okay. I'm guessing that that's his track. And he went in to the betting area on this trail and he's came out on this trail in the last 48 hours. And that type of, like, you're still only getting a little piece of that intel, but they're very habitual when they get old. And the odds that he's in there, that betting area, if he's in there and he comes out your direction, the odds are good he's going to use that same spot again. Right. You know, and that could be a light trail like what you're talking about. No, I mean, that's a great that's a great or, point. Or there could so, be a big rub or a scrape right next to it with a big track track in it whatever so when you go in or if if you're hunting a specific area and you and you have you have an idea of where you're where you're going to go you and you know there's a few trails in the area you're literally or or your advice would be essentially to literally go check each of those trails and see which one of them has tracks on it and if if you find one that's got good size tracks on it then that's the one you set up on right? uh yes you're checking agree, all of it it depends on the conditions you're dealing with. Like uh, if it's pretty dry and you're observing tracks that are really old, that may not necessarily, uh, yeah. that may not, you know, yield the intel that you're really needing. Say if right. you're in that situation, then you look up on that same trail and you see a rub that is just sweating, like bark is on top of the freshly fallen leaves that just fell in the 20 mile an hour wind from two days ago. That rub just got made whatever made that rub is pretty dang big because it's a huge tree and it's totally smoked. Like there's uh, you know, I'm not worried about the track at that point. I know he was on this trail and he hit that tree. Okay. At that spot, you know? Yeah. Gotcha. Does the, and to that rub point, cause we are going to be getting into rubs here pretty soon. Do you ever pay attention to which side of the tree that the rub yeah. was made on? Yes. Yep. yep. So is that, absolutely. So that typically tells the direction of which that which way that deer was heading. Most of the time they come right up to the tree and they smell it and they lick it and they start rubbing it and they smell it and they lick it and they rub it and then they walk again. Okay. Yeah. They so don't oftentimes when you watch them go, go into a rub or whatever, they don't walk up to it and then turn around completely and rub it. <laughs> Most of the time they just walk right up to it. Now they may not walk right up that trail. They may come in from a different direction, but that was either way that rub is a signpost at that point where that buck was standing, obviously. Right. You know, and, and scrapes even early in the season have yielded some of that. And another, another thing I should mention here is like fresh sign doesn't always mean tons of it. I set up at the edge of a bedding area once on nothing, but there was a scrape there, but it wasn't like a car hood scrape. Like you want to find, it was a licking branch that was just broken and it was like one paw in the dirt of an old scrape. It was an old scrape. You can see, you can find old scrapes in the woods, you know, where they've used them perennially. Um, every, every season they use it at some point or another, but it's all sealed over. There's no fresh sure. tracks in it. There's no, there's no, you know, drag marks from their hooves or anything. Mm -hmm. Well, this particular instance, I looked up and the licking branch had just been broken and there was, one drag mark in that scrape but it was fresh and i looked over to the right and there was a big turd on the ground that <laughs> had just been laid down in the last day and i thought about it you know like we were talking about earlier you're hemming and hawing around you're like uh is this the one is this the spot and i hung over it and a buck came right to it big mature buck nice. and he smelled me <laughs> but I was at full draw about to shoot him. Like he was going straight to it. It was one of those evenings where the wind was just, you know, whipping around. You just, yeah, you're going to mess up. So I mean, yeah, we've already made that pretty clear. And this is like, uh, I tried to get away with the just off wind and it didn't work out. Um, he smelled uh, me. But the point is, is that that little tidbit of fresh sign is what tipped me off to that buck being in there. Mm -hmm. Sure. That's okay. what we set up on. Yeah, no, that's a great point. All right. Well, we're, we're over an hour. I know we both got things we got to hop to today. So I, I appreciate you taking the time, Aaron. Um, 
if anybody wants to find you, it's just hunting public, right? Find it yep. on all the socials. Yep. Okay. The hunting public. And then you also have just your own Instagram, which is Aaron Warbritton, I think. Yep. Right. Yep. Okay. Perfect. And follow along because Aaron and the crew, they throw down videos. What is it? Do you guys post every three days or every two days? Usually post three or four videos a week or try to right now. Greg's working on one. I'm working on one. Jake's working on one. So we'll have a pile of them here shortly yep. um, from Wyoming. Lots of good stuff, good educational stuff on what not to do. And then these next <laughs> videos coming up. So you get, you get nine of, with the theme of this podcast, it's you get nine losses on yep. nine loss videos and then you get one win. <laughs> uh, if we were counting our win-loss record, we'd never make the playoffs for anything. Um, you know, you're, you're just looking at like these guys are two and thirty-six. But, <laughs> yeah, but they're doing great, right? Yeah, kind of like I mean, uh, like baseball. Like a really, really good hit percentage is like twenty percent or whatever. I don't yeah. know baseball very well. <laughs> yeah. So That's right. Uh. All right. Well, thanks for hopping on, Aaron. Appreciate it. Best of luck to you this season. And um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Appreciate you guys checking us out as well. Um, follow along on the podcast, subscribe, and go check out Aaron's, Aaron's videos, hunting public videos. Catch you guys later.